0: John Stones is shit at football. John Stones can't pass ball to save his life. John Stones is not worth 50 million. John Stones is worse even less than Pablo Aranguiz.
1: Hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and today on the pod, FCD breaks their winless streak, Buzz goes on a rant, and Paxton Pomichol gets stuck in and wins his 50. Joining me on the pod today is uh, none other than Dan Crook. Dan, that Holland-England game was massively entertaining today. What a good watch that was. Piss
0: off!
1: <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you have to admit that was—I uh, know—that was, uh, was a yeah. really, really good uh, soccer match today. Not other than the incident that caused not, England's loss, but if, just entertainment value in, is high.
0: Not if you enjoy defensive soccer, that was pretty terrible. Um, <sighs> well, who enjoys that? Everyone enjoys the game as a whole. Well, that's true.
1: Uh, I just want to know where Memphis Depay was, where that Memphis Depay was when he was playing for United. Goodness
0: gracious. Evidently not playing against John Stones.
1: <laughs> there were quite a few mistakes in that game for sure. And uh, also, and we and we probably should have a conversation about VAR during the show today too, shouldn't we? Um, yeah. All right. Uh, also joining us, uh, founder... And co editor of thirddegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz.
2: Hello, Peter. Calling in today from uh, Soccer House in Chicago, where I'm currently trying to find Greg Bearhalter so I can kick him in the nuts.
1: <laughs> you uh you you were not like yourself yeah. today, Buzz, on the Twitter. No. You you went off on bad. a rant. Yeah, I'm 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 pissed.
2: So you we, we can get to that later.
1: No, no, we'll we'll talk about this <laughs> now? first. Let's let's talk uh, about this first. So you're specifically unhappy yeah. with the Gold Cup roster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very unhappy. All right.
2: Let me try and distill down, in essence, what I'm upset about. Okay, The U.S. failed to qualify for the World Cup last time around, after which we all had this gnashing of teeth and talking about how we fix U.S. soccer. I, in particular, wrote a piece about how old the U.S. soccer team had become. And I am a big proponent of soccer being a young man's game. Okay, The crux of this argument, the crux of this discussion – is that I don't believe the Gold Cup has much value. I think that if you win it, great, it's the Gold Cup, who cares? If you lose it, whatever, it's the Gold Cup, who cares? So, for me, the Gold Cup roster should never be about picking the Gold Cup, particularly, uh, winning the Gold Cup, excuse me, particularly right now, when we have just failed to qualify for a World Cup. For me, the Gold Cup is one of the few if you will, real tournaments the United States plays in other than World Cup qualifying, this tournament and this tournament in particular should be about the next qualification cycle and the next World Cup, which start in March of next year. So that's what, six, seven months from now, you have to get ready. So that's right around the corner in soccer terms. So my complaint is with this particular roster is that Bearhalter included four players who were already right about 30 years old and, or, or older, and by the time World Cup qualifying starts will be 33, 32, and 31, respectively. That is way, way too old to be of help for qualifying, let alone the World Cup. So those players should not have been chosen. Now, if you think we should win the, World, the Gold Cup and play to win the Gold Cup, then this roster is for you. This roster was picked with the best players currently available, I think that's a mistake. I think they should have gotten rid of those four players. And at this point, people have tried to argue with me, like, well, who would you bring instead? And my response is, it doesn't matter. Who I bring would want to bring is not important. The point was, Bearhalter, the man who we've appointed to run our soccer program for the next cycle, he should have chosen who he thinks could be an asset going forward into qualification. He should have sacrificed – the chance to win the gold cup and not brought Josie Altabor, Michael Bradley, Omar Gonzalez, and Tim Reen. Those four players should have been left out in favor of essentially almost anyone all the way down to the U 17 team. If you want bring anybody, give them a chance to be bloodied at a high level, find out if they've got it, bring a guy you think maybe could do it. Maybe a guy that needs a little playing time to break through whatever it is anybody with those four guys, because this tournament does not matter. So that's why I'm upset. And that's the rant I went on. And there are obviously people that think that we should win the gold cup and we should play guys like Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. I think it's a massive mistake. Okay. So that's basically it in that nutshell. All
1: right. So, but I want to make sure I understand your point here because this is, sure. where I think I get a little off track. Are you suggesting that Burr picked players? He actually doesn't want on the team because somebody told him to
2: no, 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 no. I think he picked players to win this tournament, to win the Gold Cup. Yeah, and but, I don't care about the Gold Cup. I don't think he should try to – I don't think he should be trying to win the Gold Cup. I think he should sacrifice that for the further development of the team towards qualification of the 2022 World Cup.
1: Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess there's an argument to be made though it, – it, isn't this a program that is in a serious need of injection of uh, enthusiasm and a reason for people to get excited about the team? Because while I completely understand where you're coming from, Buzz, yeah. if they go out there with a really young roster with no true veterans or leaders on it, um, uh, although I guess you're going to tell me that Pulisic and McKinney are yes. those guys, Uh, And if they go out there and they lose in group stage or in the quarterfinals, I'm not sure that doesn't do more damage long term to Burhalter's status as a coach and the progress the the Federation's trying to make than anything that you're trying to argue about.
2: Well, that you can make that case if you're concerned about selling tickets or you're concerned about marketing or you're concerned about fan, Um, you know, if you. Now, listen, if you think that winning this tournament and winning games this tournament isn't important, then then you're not going to buy into my – I don't mean you specifically. I mean a person who thinks that, and that's a fair take. You know, If you think that, then you're never going to buy into my argument. You're going to think it's more important to bring guys that are going to win you some games. And that's a valid argument if you believe that. I just strongly, strongly, strongly believe that's not the case, that it's more important to sacrifice some minutes to these old guys, sacrifice a chance to win to either – develop a fringe guy, or maybe even look at somebody you've never looked before. And uh, the corollary to your discussion of bringing guys that if you're trying to win, why are you necessarily picking out door? Then how about Chris Wondonowski? That's the hottest dude in American soccer right now. If you're talking about trying to win these games, right? So I, I'm not necessarily sure, you know, and believe me, I don't think Wanda's a good example of who you should bring. That's ridiculous. I'm just saying that clearly, uh, there's a disconnect for me between the idea of winning this thing or even performing well in this thing i think you should burn it to the ground and i thought you should have 2 years ago and i even wrote this in a piece like these guys should never be called again and yet they are being called again I and mean, we're basically going into the gold cup with four players that were intimately involved with and were some of the worst players involved with some of the worst performers over the last year year and a half of qualifying and we're still relying on those same tired dudes who did not qualify us for the World Cup.
1: That's my take. So here's Buzz and I uh, bickering over this while his team uh, goofed off and turned over (laughs) an actual valuable game today against Holland with guys who were playing for the biggest clubs in the world. And you must find this highly entertaining, Dan.
0: I think Buzz is right. I mean, that was a problem with the England team for a very long time. Those, you know golden generation type players who never did a thing. And, you know, it, it took, uh, you know, it took a massive overhaul to, to get to the world cup semifinals and, uh, you know, be wearing England have got to, and yeah, today they played like absolute crap. But well, let me ask you this, Dan yeah. is
2: I didn't look at the England roster. I did watch half the game. I didn't look at the roster. Is there a guy on there who's the equivalent to like your 31 year old striker? You know, or your central midfielder who's thirty, going to be thirty three in about six months.
0: No, I mean half the team's right,
2: 22, 24. Right, they're they're going for the team that just won. What did they just win? in England, the the under twenty one euros, wasn't it that they just won?
0: Right, something so, like that.
2: Something like that. They something won a couple forward. of youth
0: tournaments. Yeah, yeah, so
2: they're going forward with those guys. Yeah. That's what I'm saying the MLS that MLS that US soccer should be doing.
1: Yeah, I, I totally understand your position. Well, I I just at the end of the day, I think there is way more pressure for this team to convert uh success and and give the impression that they've righted the ship and put it in the right yeah. direction. And if I'm Greg Burhalter, I kind of understand some of it. Now, look, I like adding Omar Gonzalez to any uh roster at this point who by the way is a dallas kid and i think is a great guy and all of that. Love shit. Him. yeah uh, i don't i don't understand why he's on this roster i i've never been a josie Altador fan but i also understand there are people who think he's the only guy who's even close to being an international caliber striker which makes me laugh and also depresses me at the same time yeah. um, so I, you know i think you can pick and you can nitpick yeah. anybody's roster selection but the, I think for you, there's yeah. a, um, a philosophy difference that's going yes. on here more than yeah. anything else.
2: No, and it, it is a fair take to say that Bearhalter may be feeling some heat. You know, the new administration may be feeling some heat to try and produce. They may look at this as like, we're going to show you that we're better. That is a fair take. And if, if that's what the situation is, then I understand. But as you say, philosophically, I disagree with that philosophy. I think the philosophy should have been.
1: Yeah. Sacrifice at the end at, at the end of all of this, and especially on the heels of what happened uh, against Jamaica, which was if Dan feels bad about what happened with England today, uh, Dan, trust Ooh. me, uh, the the Jamaica performance, I'm like that times two. Is I, I continue to be very very concerned that it appears to me that this current running generation, both uh, older and newer, seem to have lost. Uh, all of the true American heart and spirit that powered this team through much of all the years and decades I've been watching uh, an American national team. Uh, yeah, because that's the only thing they had to get them by, and and it, and it helped them win a ton of games. But well, the U twenty still have that. Uh, yes, but I, sometimes I think that the heart and spirit thing comes after you've, uh, the, the puppy dog attitude wears off, right? When you become a full on adult, what was driving this was, Hey, I'm a college kid and I've got something to prove. And I'm an American and I'm captain American. I'm going to go out and kick somebody's ass and I may have to run them over to do it. Um, uh, and that's what I, you know, when I see what happened with Jamaica and this goes back to the, what happened in qualifying and for the previous world cup, Those are the elements that I think are obviously missing uh, from all of this uh, pool of players at this point that really, really worries me more than anything else, because we have the most experienced. um, uh, uh, We have we have the largest pool of the most experienced American players that I can think of in our history, and we are seeing some of the worst, consistently poorest performances, um, you know, uh, game in and game out over the course of the last two or three years. With what should be our best players ever, and and to me yeah. the one mitigating factor that's missing out of that is that weird, um, sticky American spirit that uh, all yeah. other countries hated to face for all those years. Give me
2: more Clint Dempsey. Heck, give me even more Clint Mathis. Those guys, right? Those nasty, anything goes to win. You know, will determination. That's what's missing. I think
0: Dan just. Unless wants to will unless uh, will trap. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. much less will trap he
2: did terrible. you guys buy into my will trap is uh bear victory loa take
0: no you always better yeah uh, he, <laughs> I, i'm not
2: arguing with you on that take i'm just saying that like you know I, that's kind of the way i feel about the way oscar felt about vic is as clearly the way Bearhalter feels about will trap i think
0: and zada's
1: now, uh, amongst all of this is we had the absolutely mind-bending victory, uh, that the U.S. men's national team ends up beating France. Holy crap. And lo and behold, it was Paxton call getting stuck in and winning his 50 for, to start the sequence that, that creates the winning goal. Look, there is nobody else on that team, uh, that's even close to producing, uh, just end-to-end stuff that Paxton is doing. I, there there are so many amazing elements to that kid's game that he is throwing out there. I, I will. It would not shock me at all that become, by the end of July, he has been sucked up by some major club uh, from somewhere on the other side of the globe.
2: Yeah, I think he's demonstrated um, a lot of what you were talking about, that, that willingness, that desire, that 100% effort, that box-to-box relentless. Paxton is absolutely relentless. He never he's the energizer bunny. The only caveat to the idea of him being snapped up to by somebody across the bull globe is the the old argument about um upside. Like, you know, when you look at a guy like Paxton, you're like, he's playing as well as he's playing and he's going a hundred percent. He's he's actually like Bobby Ryan in a lot of ways, in the sense that every play is a hundred percent. So if like if you're a scout looking at him, you look at him and you say okay, where where can he go from here? Like, wh- where do I see the growth that he's going to become my number 10 on my gigantic million-dollar team, multi-million-dollar team? I don't know that that's there. That doesn't mean that I don't think Paxton's the best player in our USU-20 team, because I do. I just don't know that uh, a foreign scout will watch him and say, oh, man, I can buy this kid for $2 million and in ten and in five years, he's worth $30 million. That, that to me... I. I always wonder a little bit and I love Paxton. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to indict him. I'm just saying that I, I don't know that he's actually going to get that kind of offer just because of that.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a trouble position. Um, there's always going to be the, you know, Pulisic being the exception of, do I trust an American in my most important position? Um, as unfair as that may be, um, you know, and then it's a case of looking at Paxton as an 8, and we know, you know, he can certainly play a lot of that that role, but it's not necessarily a strong point.
1: That frustrates me a little bit to hear you guys say that, because I just see elements to his game that excite me so much. I mean, when he he tracked back so many times to win balls and recover balls deep in their defending third, the one in particular was the sliding tackle on the French number 8 guy, where he just... He cleaned that dude out and stole the ball and went back upfield, and it was as lovely as it could be. Uh, there was lots of interesting things uh, to discuss about the u 20s uh, just I was just really surprised uh, in terms of France how how quickly they just seemed to be willing to let take their foot off the pedal uh, for a, a team that was clearly you know one of the two favorites to win the U20 World Cup i man, I was really shocked. Uh, that the U.S. was able to get back into that game the way they did.
2: And it was a little surprising, wasn't it, that it, it must have been. And we've, we've said this about FC Dallas, too, when they've played teams, they think that they're better than, you know, when you get that goal, you're, you know, you're kind of like, ah, we got this. They, they can't play with us, you know, and then you sit back a little bit and maybe that's what happened with France. I mean, you are talking about guys who I mean, that was the big story ahead of time, right, that they have these. Hundreds and hours of guys that are played at the pro level that, that like they may look at the U-20 World Cup as like a step down, whereas our guys are all, you know, hungry as heck and looking at the world. U-20 World Cup as the biggest thing they've ever done. So, you know, the, the maybe maybe that's a contributing factor. I don't really know because I agree with you that France kind of went into a meh, mode once they had a goal and they just, they just let the U S do their thing. I thought it was crazy actually.
1: Well, especially once they went up two one, uh, they, they, that's clearly where I thought they took their foot off the pedal. Um, but you know, uh, I, I just think there's something to enjoy, uh as an american fan if you want to get all upset about the senior team uh, that there, there's a lot to really get excited about in terms of just the fact that you've got a U20 team that fell behind you know took a lead allowed two goals fell behind and fought back not just to tie the game but to win the game um is a great achievement and it and it didn't happen against a honduras or you know uh lithuania it happened against france which was a favorite to win the yeah. tournament and that's a I, I hope people take a minute to enjoy Uh, Enjoy that and enjoy the fact that clearly the best player on the team is a kid from your town, right? That's a big deal to me.
2: Oh, yeah. It's it's fantastic. He's clearly their best player. He's clearly FC Dallas' best player. And one of the takeaways for me, actually, is I can't remember a tournament for a U.S. side where when they were missing a couple of guys for cards that were theoretically, you would assume, you would hope, the best players for those positions. And the U.S. brought in guys – off the bench who did just as well or even better. I mean, that's exciting when you see that kind of depth and possibility for the U.S. side. It, you know, previous tournaments, it's been like one or two guys, and now it's like it's, it's even more than 11. It's like 15, 20 guys that are exciting and interesting. That's that's fun.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed the Justin Renick's uh, substitution because in the – I don't know how long he was on the field. It couldn't have been more than 10, 15 minutes. I swear I saw three different French players kick him uh, yeah. because they were so <laughs> mad at him for all of yeah. the pestering he did. Um, uh, so he's annoying. Yeah, yeah. and and you know what? He had the uh, wherewithal to uh, be on his feet, and he finished that uh, spilled ball by the French keeper on the on the on the on that goal. So yeah, uh, let's see where they go from here. Ecuador will be a tough a a tough call. Sorry, Dan, your yep. your your nation wasn't in the U U twenty World Cup. I'm sorry about that.
0: Yeah, we do under twenty ones instead. That's true,
2: the U twenties is not really an important age bracket for a lot of European teams. Oh, so you're gonna be a
1: snob about it, is what you're saying.
0: No, that's why we did a Talon tournament instead. It's an under twenty three tournament where we spend our under twenty ones. Oh, I see.
1: Tally ho. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's actually that's actually something the U.S. is going to be doing with their U23 team going (laughs) forward is they're going to try and use younger guys because the the 23 cycle is on and, you know, they're not looking for like this minute, you know, whatever that next camp is. I can't remember, but, you know, they're looking at guys that are a little bit younger, too, for the very same reason, you know, thinking longer term.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, with the that is the one crazy part of that whole story, uh, trying to tie the two things together. Uh, the, the senior team and the U-20 team, is that Josh Sargent uh, yeah. storyline, which I'm I'm truly baffled um, by that whole process of how they kept him off the U-20s. I just feel like there's a part of this story that we're not getting, right? Because everybody's confused as to why they didn't pick him for the Gold Cup, but because they didn't do that, they kept him from playing in the U-20 tournament where he clearly probably would have been a major asset to that team. Yeah, I, I just feel like we're missing something there.
2: Well, some people have said, well, you wouldn't have seen Soto or whatever, and I'm like, well, I mean, Sargent's the guy that everyone with U.S. Soccer is hyping up is like the guy, right? So we're we're about to have him play nothing. He's not going to do either one now. So it's like, I mean, maybe he's going to be involved with a 23 team, I guess, at some point. But it's like, you know, you had a chance to develop him one way or the other, and now you're developing him neither. Just just pick one of them and let the guy play. You know that. That's all. Yeah, Give se- him a chance.
1: I've seen people try to make the argument, or at least Berhalter, uh suggested it had something to do with LeJet's injury, and they needed somebody that could play yeah. more than one position. But I feel like the the kid from Darby that they added to the roster fills that role very well, and is probably the direct replacement for LeJet. So I don't know if I buy all of it, and I again, I'm not half convinced that— they didn't particularly like his performance against Jamaica. I didn't think Sargent was all yes. that good. Um, you know, he hasn't played a ton for his club team um, this year. Maybe there's sure, more but maybe it. that's
2: maybe that's why you made the case that he needed to be on here because he's not getting time for his club. Maybe getting yeah. some gold tub games like more than one game might have been good for him. Maybe yeah. playing him with Pulisic might have been good with him for him. Okay, I, I, so
0: here's how the conversation played out. Tab calls Greg Berhalter. He only gets his voicemail, leaves a message. Hey, Greg, it's Tab. So you told me not to play uh, Sergeant, and I notice now he's not on your roster. Uh, What's going on? Call me back. Five minutes later, he gets a text. Who?
1: (laughs) OK, let's move on uh to talk about PAX's club team, FC Dallas Football Club Dallas, now sitting in fifth place with 21 points after 15 games. They are nine points away from last place in the West and 16 points out of first place. And this is a victory pod because, believe it or not, Seattle came to town and the final score was FC Dallas 2, Seattle 1. There was like a two-hour rain delay. Somehow Seattle scored all three goals in the game. FC Dallas ends up with a single shot on goal. But we got a whole bunch of Thomas Roberts thomas roberts um you know I, I i watched the game uh after the fact i didn't get to watch it live i didn't get to attend and uh thankfully i somehow figured out how to record it on my dvr and capture all of it until it ended at like eleven thirty. um but that's a uh you know a solid performance from a, a pretty fractured team at this point and uh even if they didn't score a goal or put a lot of shots on goal you'll take those three points won't you yeah,
2: considering the amount of people that you're missing, uh, even you know it's not quite as bad as it's going to be now, but it still is pretty bad. Um, you know, and and Barrios is getting it done for this team. You know, he he essentially created both of those own goals, and and own goals only happen from really outstanding opportunities. It's not like the guy scored an own goal from midfield. You know, they were all low driven, hard, devastating balls into the box. The kind of things that strikers are going to put away if somebody doesn't put a body on it. So, you know, Dallas played uh, pretty well. It wasn't quite the luchy ball we're used to, but, um, you know, maybe that's important. Maybe it's important to learn to sacrifice a little bit of luchi ball for some creating, for some creating some danger and creating some opportunities. And, and Thomas Roberts played more connected passes into the final third than anybody else, except for Paxton Pomichol has all season. So, um, you know, good for him and good for the team. And it was overall a pretty good performance, all things considered.
1: Yeah. When you talk about Thomas, I, you know, immediately what came to mind was I wonder what people who think that, uh, you know, for those of us who are Pablo Arangi's detractors, there is a faction of people who think he just hasn't been given enough time, uh, et cetera. Uh, and I wonder if they watch what Thomas Roberts did uh, and how many. Uh, important passes he did make versus what we get out of Pablo and they notice the difference because I I clearly see an improvement uh, when Roberts is on the field over Orangis.
2: Yeah, there's an intensity there. Um, you know, Thomas high-pressed better or with more alacrity anyway than Orangis. He created more uh, disruption of the back line. He he tried to get into those gaps and split some passes that Arangis doesn't do, do and and overall just played generally played better defense too than Arangis does, and, and that's a big part of the game that Lucci has Thomas working on. Is you know he does, he doesn't play a pure ten. He wants those two way guys like your Paxton. You got to do both. Um, you know we we do want to see Thomas make some of those knifing dribbles that Paxton does. That that maybe that's the next. Uh, stage for, uh, Th- Thomas Roberts is, is the as, as Lucci says, take some risks in the final third, try and try and create some danger, you know, and, 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 uh, overall you have to be really happy. I, mean, I think the kid just turned 18. I mean, that's exciting to see him play that way. You know, compare that to a player, uh, Arangis is four years or more older than he is. It's pretty exciting. I, you know, I don't know that if Arangis were to come back tomorrow, that Thomas wouldn't still start ahead of him. Honestly.
1: So uh Dan you were actually at the game. Buzz was covering the uh Fort Worth Denton game and I didn't attend and you actually were there. Uh talk about the rain delay a little bit and how much did that have an effect on the on the performance for either or
0: both teams? Um well it was a really good thing to start. The FC Dallas giveaway was ponchos because everybody used those. Um <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone that's been in a rain uh, in heavy rain at Toyota Stadium knows the drill. There's very little cover. Thousands of people are trying to find what little cover there is. Um, rain. I mean, you know, a friend of mine didn't go. At times, it was harder driving rain than that Toronto game that was uh, like a three-hour weather delay. Yeah, Holy it was God. it was insane at times. Um, the stadium shook with some of the with some of the thunder. It was. Uh, it was it was surprising that the the delay was only an hour and forty five minutes, or whatever it was. Um, you know, you know this field, and it was the last the last game before the uh, the winter grass was torn up and replaced with the summer grass, but held up perfectly. Didn't really have any effect on the game. Um, yeah, even the uh, even the crowd, it, it was a pretty. You know, the attendance held up better than, than normal Um on those rain delays. It wasn't that SKC game where they announced 19,000 fans and there was less than a 1,000 people in the stadium. You know, this was like still a terrible, crappy FC Dallas attendance, but, you know, like a terrible, crappy summer FC Dallas attendance.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 uh, throw out there that this was the weekend that Dallas was supposed to do their part in the soccer for all gay pride, uh, celebrations across the league. Those didn't happen because of the rain. Uh, we have a, an email into the club asking if those will be rescheduled. Uh, we have yet to hear back, uh, if in fact they plan on doing that at all, uh, if at all. So uh,
0: I will we'll say though. Uh, I will say, um, for all the worrying about, you know, oh, we can't offend, we can't offend their uh, Collin County soccer mums and all this. There was a shed load of people buying up those pride jerseys. Those things went quicker than than the home and away. So uh, you know, maybe they underestimated their. Yeah, there's uh, been a. Been a, there's
2: been a pretty positive response to the images of those jerseys on uh, Twitter yeah. from the you know the FC Dallas fans it seems to me you know yeah and the team didn't even wear them
1: oh they didn't I guess they didn't wear them for warm-up
2: well
0: no. it, because because um, it was before warm-ups that the, the delay even happened so they had to come out and warm up and not you know and not do like the formal walkout so they were just in their bench tops.
1: I want to go back to uh, the game and Barrios. And, you know, everybody uh, everybody uh, keeps talking about Barrios' performance, but nobody mentions, and I realize Barrios beat a couple of guys for that first— I think it's the first goal. He beats a couple of guys, and he does his Barrios thing, and he gets into some space. But he kind of overhits that first ball. And what I don't get is nobody— Nobody is giving credit to Ryan Hollingshead for making the run to be in that space. And he actually put a really good header on frame that forced the own goal in the first place. And everybody talks about uh, Barrios having two assists, but it was really Ryan's run and finish, uh, at least attempted finish, that uh, garnered the first goal.
2: Well, my, my take on that was that uh, Barrios was actually crossing it to Hollingshead because the ball is really accurate right to Ryan. Uh, and you're right, if Ryan fires the ball, it looks to me like Ryan, when I watched the multiple angles, that Ryan is trying to head the ball to Baji, who's right you know, where he should be, dead center in the box at that point. So, uh, you know, whether I I haven't actually asked Ryan whether he was shooting or crossing, but, um, you know, Ryan certainly deserves some credit from for what I thought was the best game he's ever played as a right back because he's done that played right back a couple of times for FC Dallas and been trash both times he's played right back that I can remember. So it was really good, I thought, to see him play it really well. Uh, which is nice because now Lucci has the options of playing him on both sides if he needs to.
1: Well, that certainly has to come as a relief to Lucci, just simply because he maybe he feels more comfortable that he can give Reggie a weekend off. And you know what? There was some interesting, I don't know, was there uh, Lucci's comments about giving Reggie a game off, uh, depending on which version of the actual quote he gave you read, whether it was the full quote or the version the team put out, uh, was there a little bit of something to read between the lines there at all?
2: Uh, it wasn't even between the lines like um, Lucci, both in the press conference and in when I talked to him in the middle of the week, said that uh, Reggie's game off wasn't just like giving him rest. It actually was somewhat performance based based on like how he had done against Vancouver. Um, you know, there it's not like it was like, oh, my gosh, he's terrible. We're benching him. It wasn't that it was like, OK, we're going to give him a game off. Let him, you know, relax his mind, reset his brain. And Reggie, admittedly, in some of the quotes I've seen, said I did not respond to that well. I did not take it well because Reggie for sure took it as a benching. But uh, you know, since then, uh, Lucci twice that I've seen has been very complimentary of Reggie's response. Since that he has elevated his play over the last week and a half, and it has done him good to have gotten that game off to have maybe that little wake up call of there are other options. So um, you know, if Whichever way you want to read it, you know, it's been an effective move that Lucci has made here, it looks like, so far.
1: And, um, uh, you know, we saw a lot of really good play in the day. I thought Brian Acosta was particularly good, but I will ask this question. Um, Was that game against Seattle, is that the last time we will see Grezo in an FC Dallas shirt?
2: Yeah, I think there's actually a chance that that's true. You know, uh, I don't know if Dan agrees with me, but I think... Grezzo is playing right now. Some of the best soccer he's played since he's come to Dallas. He's back in the Ecuadorian team. You know, we saw when Grezzo did come back, what a humongous difference he makes being in the lineup. If he goes to Copa America, which is one of the most scouted tournaments in the world for the big, huge clubs. If he goes to Copa America and plays and plays well, and Ecuador does well, you know, it's very likely that you could see somebody coming in for him we already know those teams interested. There's already been reports of various teams tracking him for, you know, a season now. So it's entirely likely that you could see a big offer come in if he has a great Copa America and he could be gone. You know, this is a selling club now. Right. So uh, you never know. I, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying that it
0: certainly could be the case. You also kind of have to take into account opportunities, opportunities to be seen. You know, it's always the great unknown with every footballer and uh, Ecuador, you know, Realistically, they're not finishing top of the group. They're probably finishing second or third. Um, I think if they f- finish second, they face uh, Brazil. And if they finish third, they face Argentina in the quarterfinals. Now, that's that kind of game. Put yourself in the shop window. If Ecuador pull off an upset and Grasso's holding down the midfield, he's suddenly going to look like, well, not a million dollars, you know, significantly more than a million dollars. He's going to look like the kind of guy that's like, Okay, he's about 24. You know, most uh, most of the large teams are uh, working with defensive midfielders who are early 30s. You know, so you know, all he's got to do just just that one good game, and it could propel him so much.
1: So, uh, you know, considering the fact that they only had the one shot on goal, uh, and all of the other things that we've already talked about. Do we? I know we. I know the club won the game and everything. Uh, there, there isn't a chance anybody's feeling any better about the status of the attack, though. At this point, is there?
2: No. I, one of the things I've read about, actually, in the last two games now, is that their uh, shooting efficiency has fallen off. And it's not. I don't mean that in their finishing ability. I mean that in their on goal percentages. Like, how many shots are they taking versus how many are on goal? And earlier in the year, they were doing a really good job with that. They were. They were doing it like a 65, 70% rate, but now the last two games, it's fallen way dramatically off and they're, and they're getting 12, 13, 14 shots and only one on goal. And a lot of the shots are coming from, um, midfield, like Grezzo and Acosta are both getting more shots than you want. Like the last game, I think Hollingshead and Acosta against Vancouver, I think it was had the most shots, you know, and then Grezzo and Acosta did it against, uh, Seattle. I uh, don't quote me on those numbers, but I think that was the case. Uh, so generally speaking though, Shots are coming from too far out, which is a big problem last year. They're not coming from in close. They're not coming from good, efficient situations. So it's for sure a trend now that it's happened for two games in a row. It's definitely something they need to look at and work at going forward. You know, missing bodies still. Mm, Can it be fixed quickly? I don't know. But it's definitely an area of concern.
1: Yeah, uh, Acosta had four shots. Grezo had three. Baji and Barrios had two, as as so did uh, Ferreira. Uh, And Thomas Roberts had one. The one shot on goal, if you just want to feel better about it, at least came from Jesus.
0: So it did come from
1: year nine.
0: (laughs) I think all of Graysos landed outside the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He loves to moonshot those, doesn't he? He was trying them on his left foot as well. It made no sense.
2: Uh, well, they know that they know it's a problem area too because when, when the session I watched this week when they split into individual groups, uh, the midfielders all worked on long-range shooting basically from outside the box. So it's clearly a thing, and it's clearly a thing defensively. We've talked about this for, since the San Jose game, the first one. It's like the way to play Dallas now is that you high press as they build, but once they get to midfield, you quickly drop into a low block. Which leaves which clogs up the box and leaves Dallas only like these long range shots. So, you know, Dallas needs to either A get better at shooting from long range or B, find somebody like Thomas who was willing to make those splitting passes into the box. And like Barrios did, they got you two goals. So those that's where we are with this team, and that's what we need to see get better.
1: All right. So where are we uh with Dominic Baji at this point? Uh he's played a couple of times out on the wing. He and Barrios t- trade sides. Uh, are we getting anything that we're excited about or is it just kind of uh, the same thing as we get from Mascara, just a different
0: flavor of it? I actually thought he was excellent. Um, You know, granted Barrios uh, excelled more after the wing swap, but, you know, Baji put in a, a solid performance on the wing. He was getting his crosses in um late on when they made that switch uh you know he was he was putting Seattle under some serious pressure uh those last couple of runs um yeah one thing we have seen and, and you know Barrios created the second goal off it is when Lucci says drill crosses put it somewhere that it hits somebody deflects off the keeper's face whatever it it'll find its way in or out for a corner um yeah and, and we had that um that near header from Baji, uh, off the result of one of those. Yeah, that's actually been an emphasis of late for this team.
2: Is uh, the crosses not to be the looped crosses, to be those low driven crosses? That's something that they're definitely looking for because you get more bounces and more chaos, and and you you have a better opportunity to one time shots, which is something that Baji and Ferea are both better at. Is the one time quick shot than the trap set up and take a step kind of shot, you know? So. um for me, I actually uh, have come to, to, to think lately that Barrios actually is better on the left than he is on the right. Um, and since no one has owned the left wing spot, I honestly think it'd be better just to put Barrios over there on the left and let you know Baji play on the right, who has been serviceable. I, I agree that he hasn't been dramatically better than Mosquera, but he at least has been okay the last couple games. And, and actually last game when they put him as a nine at the end, I thought he was amazing, but that's not what we're talking about. So uh, for me, the solution is to flip Barrios and let Baji try on the right and see how that goes. Um, you know, it, it's for sure one of the wings, whether it's the left or the right, whichever one is not the non-Barrios wing, is most definitely one of the biggest problems this team has in terms of performance this season. And it, it's more than likely, I think, that whatever they're going after this summer, that's that that's not a response to somebody being sold now. That could change everything, but just the one body that Lucci talked about this week, it will not shock me at all if that body is a winger of one side or the other because no one's getting it done, locking it down, playing opposite of Barrios.
1: And before we move on to uh, previewing the game against San Jose, can we all agree that John Nelson is just a total badass? Yeah, I'm on board. Johnny. It, oh, is that what he goes by?
0: Well, they've started, the team have started calling him Johnny Nelson a lot lately, so I assume that's come from him. I figured not. it's because he'd be a baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or maybe he hates it and they just love calling him Johnny.
0: Oh, it's like Tommy Pooh.
1: Yeah, Tommy, Tommy Pooh. <laughs>
0: <Tommy>. Thomas Roberts. <laughs> All
1: right. Uh, so, uh, you know, hey, a 2-1 win. You didn't have, if you don't have to score and somebody will do it for you, why the hell not? Uh, and as I said, it pushed him back up into fifth place now. This weekend, it gets goofy, mm-hmm. hairy, and the double whammy, because not only are they absolutely drained of available players, and we'll talk about that in a second, they also have to play the team that probably effed with their head more than any other team that I can think of in recent history. San Jose Earthquakes and their crazy man marking system, um, that was fun to watch, uh, for the most part. Uh, they have to go to San Jose and deal with that on Saturday um one San, San Jose's gotten so much better of late uh you know and not just from the uh, situation with you know where uh, where they um uh the Dallas game in particular uh, but since they played against Dallas uh, where they got that where was with the 1-1 draw they uh beat Cincinnati they did lose to New England but then they beat uh the fire they beat toronto and then they tied dc united on the road last so uh things have turned quite around for san jose uh, as they are climbing up uh the the uh the ladder the western conference but buzz let's talk about who in the hell is Lucci going to put on a field on saturday
2: yeah that's a big question uh, let's first mention that uh san jose is missing some guys too they're missing nick lima they're missing Kashia. They're missing Cummings. They're missing Godoy, and erickson has got a concussion protocol, so they could be shorthanded too. Not as much as Dallas is, but um, you know it's going to be a two shorthanded teams going at each other. But let's talk about Dallas because uh, the 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 midfield is the question because that's where you're missing like seven players to, off the top of my head. You know, at at this point, Jacory Hayes is a lock to could go this weekend. Uh, he actually was playing pretty well the last couple of games prior to. Getting a rest this last game. And then Thomas Roberts, as we just discussed, has done a good job at the um tennis sort of spot. Um, he alternated a little bit with Emma Tuamase this week. So your other choice there is Tuamase, but I think that's, I think it's Roberts all the way. The linchpin of the whole thing is the holding mid. Uh, there is no natural holding mid left. So, your choices are basically based on what we've seen in training and what Lucci has even talked about publicly. Your choices are Brisson and Ryan Hollingshead. Brisson is very physical, very t- tenacious, and willing to hit people hard in that spot, which would be great in terms of defensive intensity and, and gr- intensive grit but might make you a little bit worried about yellow cards the other choice hollingshead in that spot is a much smoother possession sort of player um, but we all know that hollingshead is not a natural defender he's a converted defender so there is a little bit of concern there obviously which one you pick changes the bas- back line zeke looked great in training so i'm expecting him to play but uh, nelson was held out of training so is nelson available or not we don't know yet um, if Nelson can go, then he can play left back and then Hollingshead can go into the middle. Um, if Bress if Hollingshead is in the middle, then Bresson could be center back and Ziegler could be left back. So you have a rotation there depending again on who you pick, Brisson or Hollingshead. So which one is, you never know. The front three will stay the same. Bajie, Ferreira and Barrios. I have no reason to think it'll be different. The one big, huge thing that it's going to be news here is that I've uh, learned from a couple of sources that, um, Jesse Gonzalez is going to be out for this game. They're going to arrest him because of his ankle. So it's Jimmy Mauer. No, no, Jesse. Um, well,
1: it didn't which, come as a surprise since he was tweeting photos of yeah. being in the doctor's office with his feet in front of a ankle diagram on the wall.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you know, I, we knew he was going to get it looked at and he, but he did play on it last week with this problem. So theoretically, you know, he's getting it looked at or giving some rest, but I have found out that they are resting him. So he will not be in this game. So it'll be Maurer and Zorbeck, which actually reduces them to just 18 players available. If that is Nelson can go. And I'm pretty sure Nelson's gonna be able to go. Cause Lucci said it wasn't a big deal. They were just resting him for a day. I mean, he could have been fooling me, I suppose. We'll find out. But um, you know, that big the big battle in the middle of the Hollingshead brasson battle. I'm I'm gonna the choice will come down to does Lucci have more faith in Hollingshead? And or does he have or does he feel like he needs that defensive grit that Brasson might give him as a holding mid? That, that that'll be the choice, I think. I think. And which one it'll be. I mean, your guess is good of mine at this point, because all day, when I was there on Wednesday, the whole time, every five minutes, Relucci rotated. It was a short session, but he kept the pace high by changing people up whole game. And so it was clear he hasn't made any decisions at all about what he's going to do. And I don't blame him because it's a complicated one.
1: If he starts Brisson as holding mid, it'll be amazing to watch, but there's no yeah. doubt in my mind he gets re- he gets thrown out by the 75th minute.
2: Yeah, that's going to be the thing. It's because that dude will hit somebody hard. I mean, he'll be a great defensive mid in the terms of like breaking up play. But that would be my only worry would be like, is can he not, can he refrain from getting a card? And that's probably the
1: reason why it'll be Hollingshead. I'm just telling you now, if he starts, it's holding mid, the first yellow will be a handball. The second one will be just an absolute crap tackle where he crunched somebody (laughs) to death. You watch, you know, I'll be right.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's entirely, you're entirely right. Probably. I mean, that's, that's the reason why it'll almost certainly be Hollingshead, you know, just on that alone. But, you know, Hollingstead is not a defender. You know, if you're putting him in there, then Joe Corey Hayes has to carry a lot more defensive weight. You know, I'm I'm not sure that that is if Hollingstead is capable of playing as a six. I mean, that's that's a different, <laughs> I mean, I know like he's joked around that that only leaves him like goalkeeper in nine. It's the only thing positions left he hasn't started in. But, um, you know, it, that's even like, because when you play as a left back or a right back, you're not really playing like, you're playing more like a wing in the modern game, right? You're not playing like a real defender. So you're going to get more of that center back type performance from him, which I didn't think was great. So like, I, you know, it's a talk. It's a but, question. But,
1: but just to be clear, they don't, They while they're really short on resources, they're not so no. short that they can make a call up. They can't do the hardship thing at this point. Correct?
2: Correct. Uh, in order to make a hardship call up, you have to have less than 14 field players and they have, 16 field players so that and they they even technically they even have 17 because coleman's not injured quote unquote even though he can't play so um you know they theoretically could roster coleman i mean yeah. that's stupid they can't he's not playing that's dumb but and,
1: and on top of all of this now they also have to go play a team that is uh you know doling out alameda's crazy man marking style and yeah i tried to i don't know that's going to be uh, a crazy thing to watch Come uh, come Saturday. It's going to be interesting. Don't
0: forget the uh, uh, Wandalowski form seven goals in three games. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's right. I hadn't even thought about that yet. That's uh, – oh, goodness well, me. Well, that,
2: that's another reason why to think that whatever you want to do, you want to do it so you have Ziegler and Hedges in the middle of your center backs. And if you – if you don't put Brisson as the holding mid, then he has to play center back. You'd rather have him as the holding mid because then you can do a triangle, a Hedges Ziegler, Brisson triangle. I mean, or go or go three five two. Right. Three center backs. They didn't do that in training, but that doesn't mean they couldn't do it because they did that, you know.
1: And I just forgot, uh, or I just realized it's another Saturday afternoon game, except this time it's out on the West Coast. So they're playing at two thirty Central Time. That's a noon thirty start on the West Coast have we ever been able to figure out why Dallas has been, uh, was this something that the Hunts requested that the, that major league soccer just thinks that they are why is Why has Dallas been stuck with all these mid afternoon games this season? I don't ever remember this happening before.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, um, this is a Univision game. You know, this is a game that Univision theory would have picked the teams, right? I mean, they, they're like they and ESPN sort of – or whoever we're dealing with these days.
0: Right.
2: You know, sort of Fox, sort of they, they, they go, oh, well, I like that matchup. I mean, I would guess the Dallas is on Univision a lot because let's be honest. They have a fair number of Latin players in Latin style and they, they do decent numbers on Univision and they do terrible numbers on your ESPNs and your Foxes of the world. So Univision likes them, so they get on Univision a lot.
1: Um, oh, and then the other thing I wanted to ask was, I saw a quote today from Lucci, uh, where I, you know, we we made it, we had a conversation about the Dan Hunt interview at halftime a couple weeks ago, where he's you know made some sort of weird uh, promise or reference to the number of players. It was, a, yeah. I, I think I swear I heard him use like the plural of play players that were, you know, game changers that they're going to bring in in the summer. But the quote I saw from Lucci, I think it was today or yesterday, indicated that they had their eyeballs on a player. Yeah. Um. And I did anybody else? Does that make anybody else wonder if maybe it's just one guy and Dan's promise of multiple guys isn't actually going to come true?
2: Well, if I'm talking to Lucci, that, that quote was in my practice report. I was the only one, only media there that day. Oh, and so that, right, yes. uh, and I've talked to Lucci about this before. Like before I jokingly asked him about Dan saying that the multiple players and Lucci said multiple. So it's pretty clear that they're thinking they're getting one. The other players of the multiple is a promotion from within. It's, it's uh, they're talking about bringing up somebody from North Texas this summer. It'll happen by July, basically.
1: Oh, so the player isn't even somebody from like Bayern or overseas. No, no, or- no.
2: One is, and one isn't. Oh, okay. That's the reason why it's players and Dan Hunt's mind because he means North Texas. Lucci said one foreign player and one North Texas
0: player. And we. Still I would mean- love to hear a podcast about what goes on in Dan Hunt's mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
1: would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, at least for a few minutes. Um, Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and we have no, and there's just not a single rumble out there at all about who this uh, incoming player is, is there?
2: Well, Lucci says they haven't decided yet that they're looking at a couple of options and they haven't decided which one or, or who they're going to get. So, you know, I I would have hoped by now that they would have more of a concrete idea than that. But, um, you know, some of that may depend on, you know, on what offers other people get, you know, like they may have like three offers out to guys that are waiting to see what else they get offered. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's we might be stuck way, where, you know, Dallas is going to be the minnow, right? They're going to get the, the later choices of especially because the winner doesn't open until July 10th.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh and I know that I really wanted to uh before we go, I wanted to get into some of the stuff dealing with the Academy in North Texas. And specifically, uh, Buzz, you brought to my attention that you uh have gotten a hold of a letter. Now, is this a letter that's been sent to yeah. the parents? Like it's the kids a, it's are a, all sent they're like, Take this home to your mom and dad and make them yeah. sign it.
2: Well, they—it's a letter. Uh, it's basically like that. Yes, it's a letter that um, SC Dallas wants players and their families to sign. Uh, It's—they even offered uh, to do a presentation to an open presentation to anybody in the academy to bring your parents. We'll walk you through the whole thing. Um, what they what, what MLS has made a pamphlet basically that explains oh,
1: what—not a pamphlet.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a pamphlet. That, it's like a you know a, a PDF document that explains what. Um, solidarity payments and what training compensation are. That's that's what the pamphlet, I'm going to call it that, explain. And then FC Dallas has written a letter that comes with that, that they want their players to sign uh, and a guardian to sign. And I, and I have a hold of both of them. And there's also a third document that some agents made that rips apart from their perspective, solidarity and training compensation. So this discussion that I'm going to have real quick is not about whether you think, or I think, solidarity or trading compensation are good that's a different discussion this is just about this letter that fc dallas wants the players to sign
1: somebody thinks it's not good is uh yeah
2: agents agents don't think it's good they're trying and they're trying to convince players that they don't think it's good um okay real quickly basically right now the u.s players don't ask for trade for compensation solidarity or training so agents say that they have an advantage and then if you take that away that it's going to hurt the American player. That's the basic discussion. I think it just levels the playing field, but that's well anyway. That's not the discussion we're having today. That's that's an hour long discussion if you want. Yes. So this letter is interesting because it doesn't actually ask the player to agree to anything. The entire letter is basically like FC Dallas saying, Here's what we're gonna do, period. Here's what it means for you, period. We want you to aggr- to admit that we have told you this. We want you to acknowledge that we're saying this. Whether you acknowledge it or not doesn't matter <laughs> because we're doing it. So basically that's what the letter is. They don't want somebody to come back later and say,
1: "You never." Told I have no us. idea
2: what you're talking about. You never told us that. No, no. Here's the letter that you signed that says all these things. Now, if you don't sign it, are they going to kick – somebody out of the academy because you don't sign it. I, I don't know because I, I I doubt that, but you know, it, it's important enough that they wanted everybody to sign it. And I'll real quickly, I'll tell you what it says. Um, it basically has three parts to it. Okay. Part one basically says um, kind of what it means in, in terms of the academy and their program and we'll, so we'll come back to it because it's the most sort of complicated part the middle part says a list of what you get by being in the academy it's basically lays out what the academy is going to pay for it says we're going to pay for coaching we're going to pay for facilities we're going to pay for blah 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 it tells you everything you're going to get as a benefit so you basically are agreeing i hear that you've said you're paying for this so you can't come back later and said why did you pay for why you're like it wasn't in there right okay and so item number three is that none of this will affect your NCAA eligibility. This is all above board and all legit. So two and three are, here's what we're paying for, and it's not going to hurt your your eligibility. So let's go back to item number one. Are right, we cool with two and three so far? Sure. They're pretty straightforward. Okay, item number have one take is where- I a pamphlet in-
1: home from school about lights. Yeah. So this is interesting <laughs> yeah. in comparison.
2: This is like that in a sense, okay? So here's what the, the interesting part, is for the sake of this discussion. The other two parts are boring, okay? The part that's interesting is that um, it says that we want you to acknowledge that we're going to assess your ability to play, basically, which I was like, right, well, why? Of course they are, right? (laughs) Right. And then the next part says, uh, if we decide you're going to be a pro and we we think you're going to be a pro for us, that we will offer you an employment agreement at some point. So basically they're saying we're going to evaluate you and if you're good enough, we're going to offer you a contract, right? Pretty straightforward. Okay. The third part says that if somebody not from major league soccer comes to you and offers you a contract, we want you to tell us, which is I think (laughs) perfectly reasonable. And it's also, it's also fairly unlikely because most players don't get contacted directly. They get contacted through FC Dallas or through agents slash scouts kind of thing. Yeah. So basically like everything's arranged. These teams are all working together because everybody wants to be friendly. So uh to me, even if you're a player too, like you want to tell FC Dallas if you get contacted because you want multiple offers. And that's where part the next little piece of this section says, if you get an offer. We would like a chance to match that offer again as a player. Why wouldn't you want a chance to match the offer because multiple offers is good?
1: Well, yeah. Well, okay. Look, we could we could spend way too much time right. r- reading through all the minutia of the thing. But minutia. clearly yeah. what the Hunts are doing, they've got a lawyer or a legal team that has said, yeah. hey, this new thing is coming what do we got to do to cover ourselves? And yes, full credit to them. Um, it, it appears that the league or the hunts in particular have figured out how to do that. And I don't blame yeah. them for that at all because you and I both know at the end of the day, when you introduce that new element of available funds into yes. all of this, it's going to get ugly at some point. It just is. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's, and that's what the last little bit of the whole thing says is like, you know, we're going to make you an offer. It's a hundred percent your decision. So it, it, the whole document is just explaining the way the, the groundwork is going to, the ground is going to be right. It's, it's like, they don't want somebody to say to them, I had no idea it was going to be like this because it lays out the whole process as it's going to be going forward. And every MLS team is going to go for these solidarity and training things. And like anything else, these things are all negotiable. Every player is going to be different. You know, a club might waive the training part in order to lock in the uh, solidarity part because, like, if they think a player has a bigger ups. Like, Richards probably had a huge solidarity part and no training part. Right. Or an, a, a guy that had less upside will have maybe they were like, oh, we want the training, but we don't care about the solidarity because we don't think he's going anywhere. So well,
1: now because that wasn't in effect when they sold Chris, is that something that retroactively Dallas can still? Oh, I, I, from?
2: Don't, I don't know. I was just using him as an example. I mean, they put a 40 percent sell on clause in his deal when they when they sold him. So, I mean, that's you know, similar to a solidarity payment yeah. in okay. these ways, you know? So, I mean, that's, but I was just using him as an example. And every player from now on that comes out of the Academy is going to have the steps that are laid out in this document. Uh, they're going to go through them. And, and every single player is different. Every single player is going to be negotiable. The choice of who you sign with is always going to be with the player. So like this document changes nothing other than spelling out, you know, to the Academy kids what's coming.
1: Every time we get into one of those conversations, all I can think of is Dan sitting there listening to this going, this is so boring. We This is like drinking water or breathing air to the rest of the world. And we spend it, uh, countless minutes and hours uh, fretting over stuff that the rest of the world uh, just is like second uh, second nature to them.
0: Well, I mean, for us, it's, it's more the EU, uh, you know, the yeah, you know, that I was what led to the Bosman uh, transfer and everything else. The belief that if you didn't have a contract, that the other team didn't have your rights, and then the solid- solidarity payments purely became a a kind of get out for that. In that, if a player is under the age, I mean, there's the five percent solidarity payment, but there's also an additional one that that will. You know, I could t- certainly see coming to the U.S. at some point in that <clears throat> if a player is under the age of 24 and you extend a b- a bona fide offer to them, uh, similar to how training uh, solidarity payments are are activated here, um, you know, the a team can sign that player for free, but they have to then arrange some kind of fee a- as a as like a training compensation.
1: Okay, so Buzz, uh tying all of this uh, together, I'm going to guess that yeah. what we what we are what they're sensing is is all of this is all a bigger picture of that they're about to essentially graduate somebody from North Texas to FC Dallas.
2: Yeah. Uh there's a the one of the weird things about the way the MLS washers work is there's a bit of a bottleneck um in the academy. Uh, and, and and I'm including North Texas as part of the academy It's all about progressing guys to the highest level possible. when you get to the MLs team, it's about winning. so most of the MLs roster is players in theory that you think are going to contribute and help now uh, the bottom of the MLs roster has you know the ten spots that are that are that predate the idea of reserve squads or there these, there's there, are these, these, uh, reserve roster spots. There are things that GA players and homegrowns are stashed. Your Surios, your, your Cervanias, Thomas Roberts, they, they all fit into that space at the bottom. So there's a bit of a bottleneck there because in order to bring up and sign one of these North Texas players, which they want to do this summer, uh, you, International spots matter for some of them, you know, and these homegrown supplemental spots probably matter for some of them because if it's an academy kid, they're going to be a homegrown. If it's not an academy kid, you know, then maybe it's a senior contract. And so, you know, if you can fit one by graduating a guy up from the from this supplemental part of this roster. But what what's important is, and what I wanted to talk about was that um, it's it's not just a case of. Um, when you're talking about bringing up a kid from North Texas, it's not purely a hundred percent. This is the most talented kid because it's important when you talk about putting them on the MLS ro- roster that there's, there's a role for them that they're going to come in and actually contribute because if they're not going to get any minutes, then you would sign them and just immediately loan them back to North Texas so they can play again. Well, there's, there's no, there's no point in that, right? If you're like, And we'll use Pepe as an example. Let's let's say you think Pepe is ready to come up to Major League Soccer. It's one thing to say, I want to sign him to Major League Soccer. I'm going to bring him up, and then he's going to sit on the bench and never play. In that case, don't even bother. Just leave him down there. It's another thing to say, I'm going to sign Pepe, and I'm going to bring him up because he's going to play, because I'm going to sell somebody you know, and then I'm like, let's just pick a name out of the hat. Let's say they think they're going to sell Jesus Ferreira this summer, right? You sell Jesus Ferreira. Oh, now I got a place for Pepe. Now he's going to come up. He's going to play. So when we talk about um, the value of bringing a guy up or not, it's not always just going to be the most talented guy because we all know right now that's Pepe. You know, if it were only about that, you would bring up Pepe. So who is, so who, so who is it they're going to bring up? Well, that's the question. It's important to look at, it might be peppy. It might be that by the time we get to July that they feel like they need a striker. But when we watch the team play, Jesus right now is doing a pretty decent job of playing the nine. Baji did a nice job filling in at the nine the other day at the end of the game. They're still giving Cobra lots of opportunities. Oh, I'm sorry. The garden snake, lots of opportunities, right? So, you don't – you when you look at the – that's the whole point I'm trying to make is that you look at the North Texas team and the obvious name is Pepe. Do you obviously see a place where he comes in and plays significant minutes for North Texas? No, I don't. Not for – I'm sorry, for FCD. Yeah. yeah, I don't – now, if you want to argue whether he's better than Andresic and better than Jesus, we can have that discussion. But it's not obvious. The more obvious positions that they might need somebody might be like as a wing. We just spent – Ten minutes talking about how so no one is. Wingers? Well, the the wing that's doing the best right this minute is Arturo Rodriguez. Is up for Player of the Month in USL One, who's uh, being discussed as an MVP candidate of USL One. Maybe that's the guy. Maybe you're going to recall Dante Seely, who is a really bright, interesting, fifteen year old prospect that is too, who's super exciting. Um, maybe they look at a guy like Jata. Like if you're what if they sell Grezo, like we just talked about, right? Jata's the best legit MLS potential holding mid on that team. Maybe they're looking for an eight. Maybe they think they're they're gonna lose Paxton. Then you might be talking about Tanner Tessman as being the most interesting guy and he's more of a homegrown signing than a cuz he's not under contract he's an academy kid so, so is is
1: there is there a sense that fans that uh should be on the lookout that if in fact they sign somebody they could in theory uh take that as an indicator that somebody's about to leave the team
2: the, the both that they think Meaning somebody might sell mean, somebody
1: they're bringing somebody potentially, yeah okay
2: yeah it, it, one one is the idea that maybe they might sell somebody. Two is the idea of what is a need on the team even before we sell somebody, and more and specifically, it's not necessarily the guy you think has the most upside and has the the humongous superstar of the future, which is why I'm trying to say that maybe it's not Pepe. It might be Pepe, but it might also not be Pepe if they don't think Pepe's going to play. At the MLS level and get minutes, then why would you bring him?
1: Yeah, I think. Right. OK, yeah, yeah, I got it. You made it clear. So that's
2: that's I'm trying to lay out the the, the, the sense of the, the landscape in terms of who might be coming up and that it might not be peppy. But you shouldn't be mad about that. You know, you should be excited for whatever it is. It's because Lucci thinks that whoever it is is going to quickly contribute to the team.
1: I'm laughing, Dan, because I'm sitting here thinking about how we're uh, getting all antsy about Dallas bringing in a a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old from the academy. And over on one of the websites, I saw that David Beckham is essentially trying to solidify a deal to make Lionel Messi one of his signings (laughs) for Miami (laughs) International or Suarez. And I just think, well, goodness, this is never going to be an
0: even-steven kind of deal, is it? Such is life, right? The uh, the rich get richer, and the poor turn to the academy.
1: Does anybody think that the there's anything to the Messi deal? I know da- I know Matt Doyle said he totally thought it would it wouldn't surprise him in the least if it happened, but I don't know. I just
0: Messi's said a few times that if he leaves Barcelona, it's to go back to Newell's old boys.
1: Yeah, I would find that. I was surprised that Matt Doyle said he wouldn't be surprised because I find that to be the least likely thing. Uh, You know, I I just don't see that happening. But anyway, Suarez thing, I totally could see happening.
2: I I don't know about specifically with Messi, but I certainly see enter miami being a hot spot for europeans uh, that want to come on south beach yeah you live on good. south beach and maybe be a little more anonymous than you are in in europe but yet you've still got something to offer to play i mean I, you know you could see that being really attractive
1: yeah yeah certainly uh, major league soccer as a destination uh, landing spot opens up when they've got another you know, oceanfront team to go along with the two LA teams, right? When you can't, when, when the yeah. two LA teams are all loaded up and don't got a spot, why not uh, go down to Miami and enjoy South beach for yeah. and, and retire? Take your money
2: and relax together. in the sunshine. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah.
1: Now, now Buzz, uh, uh, I've got a note here. I'm, you know, during yeah. the course, just to kind of pull the curtain back for people, Buzz will send notes saying, Hey, I want to talk about this and this. And the one last note I have is the this, this two word phrase, academy pressure. What the yeah. F do you mean by that?
2: Well, what that means is um, something I was talking to, uh, you know, over the last couple of months, I've been talking to people about the academy, you know, and where its progress is and what's next or whatever. And um, it's interesting to me that, um, particularly the U17s right now and behind them, the U14s, and you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to be like, U14s, what are you talking about? Well, um there's still about six guys in the U17 team that are I think I think are pros at some point. And then you then you can go the U15s and and the U14s are also that's Peter Lucene's old team that is really 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 special that team. The point I want to make is those kids are 2005s. That means within within a year from uh just a little over a year from now, about a year and a half from now, those kids are going to be 15, 16 years old. That's the age at which we now see North Texas signing players. So over the next season, two seasons, you're looking at somewhere between six kids, maybe or seven kids from the 17s, a couple from the current 15s, and maybe a few more from three or four more from the U14s. They're legitimate professional prospects that are going to be signed. You're looking at somewhere like 15, 16 players. So that's what I mean about pressure from the academy, right? Those kids are going to be coming up from the bottom. Well, where are they going to go? Yeah. If you're a current North Texas player and you're not playing, man, you better start trying to figure out what you're going to be doing with the rest of your career. If you're a bottom of FC Dallas player and you're not playing, Pepe's coming, Jata's coming. They're signing kids, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, that they think are going to be these big-time stud players. Those guys are coming in the next year or two years. So you better figure it out quick because as I look at what the North Texas team is doing with basically a U19 team dominating that league, those guys are coming. There's, I'm telling you, there's kids that are 14 now that within two seasons will be – Dante Sealy is 15, Right. He's already on the MLS roster. Uh,
1: look, I get it. I totally understand yeah. where you're coming from. And I do find the growing story of uh, how the Hunts are doing this differently than as we just spoke about David Beckham is building his team or how other MLS teams are going about this. I find this to be an endlessly fascinating conversation because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I at the end of the day, how this is going to work. If they can make this work, they all end up looking like geniuses. But I think yeah. the rest of the soccer global world just goes, that's a really sweet romantic idea, dude. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, he's over well, there trying th- to sign Luis Suarez to be a Yeah,
2: but think about, think about how the great Man U team was built with, like, those five guys came out of the academy at one time. I'm not sure. saying that, like, this is going to be a world-beating team. I'm just saying that, like, if you're a bottom-of-the-roster player in MLS or in North Texas – There's a ton of kids that are coming. Now, are they all going to make it? No. Is is FC Dallas going to win an MLS Cup? I have no idea. I'm just saying that like it used to be that at the beginning of the season, you would draft a college player or two. Maybe one of them will make it. A couple years down the line, he's worth something. The only time there was any pressure was when you signed a guy from outside the team. That's no longer going to be the case. There's now going to be this bottleneck of 20 kids that are fighting and clawing to take your job and all are legitimate professional candidates so it's going to be a different game in terms of how the rosters are filled going forward within the next two years even
1: that sounds really neat i just want to win mls cup once
2: yeah <laughs> that's a totally different discussion yeah
1: okay boys anything else uh, that you'd like to uh, touch on before we wrap this one up buzz no i've I think I got
2: out way more than I should have yeah, he, <laughs> today.
1: You, <laughs> I dominated the air, sorry. You've had a content rich day, I'd say, across yeah, all different yeah. types of digital platforms. Good for you. You can yeah, block well, people everywhere. You'll uh you'll don't block people. Don't do that. Just, just one. one. I had to just do one. Um and uh Dan, anything you'd like to do other than uh curse John Stones?
0: Uh yeah, yeah I'll curse John Stones. Um obviously some news today as uh, as the Gold Cup rosters were announced, and uh, uh, joining uh, Brian Acosta is North Texas S.C.'s BQ Besanth. That's uh, that's pretty cool news, and uh, his Haiti side will be playing at Toyota Stadium two weeks today against uh, Nicaragua in that terrible doubleheader with uh, Costa Rica and uh, some other. Oh, Bermuda, some other garbage team. Um, and then the uh, the WPSL side uh, actually took their first league defeat in God knows how many years to uh, South Star FC from Fort Worth, who incidentally are coached by North Texas SC head coach, Eric Quill's wife, Susan. Wow, that's weird. That's uh, uh, Susan Bush of the U.S. Women's National Team.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't mean to uh, jump from one thing to the other. I, j- I did want to make a comment I, because I don't I, – I, I couldn't pick that guy out of a lineup, the Haitian kid that's going to play with Haiti in the Gold Cup. I can't pronounce his name, but I do think it's pretty ironic that we've gotten to a point where FC Dallas can have a player called up for international duty and he's not even on the senior team. Um, and I'm going to guess 99% of the fan base have no idea who he is. So, Biku, cool. that's uh, that's progress.
0: no yeah. well, he was, uh, you know, he was caught up, and the team didn't even seem to the at least the PR department didn't even seem to know that uh, he and uh, Ronaldo Damas were even on their 40 man provisional rosters.
1: Yeah, I wonder how much of that has to do with the uh communication PR skills of the Haitian national team versus uh, Dallas's. I mean, they look, that same thing happened Oh, they weren't. So. Happened with the too, right? I mean, how, how it was a full week before the club ever announced the was going to the Toulon tournament. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. true. Oh, and there's one more thing that obviously needs to be covered and that is Thomas Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy well, Pooh. Yeah, t- hopefully we'll get lots of Tommy
1: Pooh this weekend. Release right. the poo. So
0: much poo. <laughs> oh, okay. <That's... laughs> I love that that was his nickname. I don't remember where that came from. It just made me laugh so much. Oh. Well, the funny thing is, I was trying to look for that tweet earlier on, and I realized that's just something that Chris Richards does. He uh, he used to call Holland Ruler. Uh, am I getting that right, Buzz? No, he, uh, yeah. He used to call him Holly Pooh. Oh.
1: Well, if there is not by the end of the season a giant poop emoji that says "Release the poo," <laughs> I'm going to be super disappointed in the Beer Guardians. You guys better get on that, and I'll. Yeah, come ha-
0: people will just think they're talking about Christian Coman.
1: <laughs> well, that's what makes it cool, man. You got to be Ooh. in the in club to understand the joke.
2: Mm-hmm. Speaking of Coleman, he is back outside working again, doing, you know, lateral movement type stuff, but there's no way he's playing for at least another month.
1: I was mowing the yard and I had this Christian Coleman thing come across my brain. I am now going to predict that Christian Coleman is going to come back from his severe knee injury and score wicked amount of goals and and stick it in everybody's face that all of us that have been making fun of him for the last two or three years that would be
0: awesome so basically you've adapted the plot line of rookie of the year
1: (laughs) yes that's exactly (laughs) what it is
0: yeah yeah does his mom get married at the end
1: of it as well uh, very well he might do that yes wouldn't that be i guess that would be an awesome ending because you know what christian (laughs) is a great guy he's been fantastic in the locker room (laughs) He, yeah. He, he can't he's finish gonna, can't finish his dinner to save his life, but He's uh, going to come
2: back and score 10 goals in the last 10 games and then his contract's going to run out and you're going to be mad they don't re-sign him.
0: Yeah, that's probably And what's then he goes be. off to Europe and uh signs for some Portuguese club. No, that was uh David Tessera, sorry. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, we did a lot today. Uh, Dan, uh,
1: my condolences to your Nations League loss. Buzz, uh, please go eat something, get some sustenance back in your body. You've had a busy day. And uh, thank you, good FC Dallas fan, for listening. We will talk to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Roberts.